Hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the wonderful name of Jesus. He is the truly the bread of life. Oh, it's such a joy to be able to come and see your faces today. I'm missing several this morning, but uh, I trust we'll continue to pray for them. And I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity to just bring a word of encouragement to us from God's wonderful, wonderful word. It's good to see Brother Kendall here and Elder Bobby. Uh, they've been a, a great encouragement to me through the years. And, and I trust that what we say today will be framed within the experience that God's people have in this broken and fallen world. We want to title our message this morning, Manna in the Wilderness. I'd like us to turn our attention first to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. I know Pastor Nathan has been doing a wonderful job bringing us through this great story of redemption, but there's something that continues to come back to my mind, and I trust it's of the Lord this morning, concerning the manna that God provided His people in the wilderness. This is a wonderful uh, truth that we need to lay hold upon in our own wilderness experiences. We know that the wilderness in the Hebrew tongue is mitbar, mitbar in the Hebrew tongue, and it means uncultivated, uh, a place of uh, uh, barrenness, uh, a place of danger, uh, a place of uh, little comfort. All the way through the Old Testament, we read about the wilderness experiences of God's people. And this coincides with many of us, doesn't it? Many of us have passed through wildernesses of various kinds at various seasons in our life. And, and God has always demonstrated His favor, His faithfulness to us in the midst of those wilderness experiences. When we think about the manna in the wilderness, we... We think, first of all, about the mystery of the manna. And secondly, we want to look at the meaning of the manna. And then, most importantly, the message that we find in the manna. Many of us are acquainted with this story and how it relates to the people of Israel. But I want it to also relate to us. And I want it to focus upon the perfections of Jesus Christ. We're going to find this morning... That in this wonderful message of the manna, we have a promise fulfilled. We have provision manifested. We have preservation experienced. And we find a wonderful, wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember in our studies of Exodus how that the children of Israel have been delivered as a nation out of the land of bondage, the land of Egypt. Uh, beginning in chapter 12. And as they come through the Red Sea experience on dry ground, they're worshiping and praising God in Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses. What a wonderful song that is. But it wasn't very long, was it? Only three days. The children of Israel began to murmur because they found the wilderness to be an unwelcoming place, a place of deprivation. Uh, they would look to the right and to the left, and they would see no water. 
They would look out into the barrenness of that desert land and they would see no, no food. And here we have in our mind at least two million uh, Israelites, men, women, and certainly children, who were exposed to the dangers of the wilderness. But God brought them into that wilderness, as He does you and I, to teach us things about ourselves that we would never learn in any other way, in any other capacity. So the Lord is going to come to Moses, and we're just going to touch on this in Exodus chapter 16, and drop down to verse 9. And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness. Now notice where they are. They looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. They looked in the desert land, in the discomfort of their circumstances, and they were to see there the glory of the Lord. They're going to see something about God that they didn't know before. They're going to perceive something about the God that they served, that they had not experienced before in their pilgrimage. And this is what we read in verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At evening ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now here is the great statement that you need to underline. God is demonstrating... That He is their God. He is with them in the wilderness. And He would provide quail. He would actually provide meat for them to eat in the wilderness. And, and the miraculous part of our study this morning is in the little word manna. Which in the Hebrew tongue is, what is it? It's a question. This is a, a mystery to the people of Israel, just as it is to us who, uh, from a standpoint of nature, know nothing about God. From a standpoint of nature, aren't even seeking God. But all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a wilderness, much like Jacob in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. Remember, God found Jacob in the waste-howling wilderness when there was no strange God among him. God found him in the wilderness. God is going to meet the people that he loved at the very point of their greatest need. Let me say that again. God is going to meet his people in the point of their greatest need. Now let's think about this. Here's this manna uh, that comes after the quail. Uh, verse 14, And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they knew not 
what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. There's a mystery connected to the manna. Now, we're mindful of how that relates to Christ, aren't we? Uh, because back over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, Great is the mystery of godliness in, his, in that God was manifest in the flesh. That God Himself would make Himself manifest in flesh. So here we see a picture. Here we see something uh, connecting Christ to what God had demonstrated to the children of Israel many, many, many years before. 1,500 years beforehand. And notice in verse 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. What is it? It's a mystery, right? And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now here we understand that God was revealing a mystery. He's going to express His covenant love toward the people that He redeemed, that He brought out of, of Egypt. I'm mindful of what Jesus said in Matthew 13 verse 11. He said, uh, It is given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but unto the world it's not given. God is going to reveal something to the children of Israel that He hid from the Egyptians. God is going to do a great work among Israel that He would not do among the Amalekites or the descendants of Esau. He's going to reveal something about Himself in this context of the manna in the wilderness. But what does it mean? What does it mean? It not only in the preservation of Israel, but as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we, in these verses, we learn something about who Christ is in His incarnation. We learn something about Christ. Notice this manna was small. This speaks of humility. This speaks of the humility of Jesus Christ. Remember in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 7. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But took upon him the form of a servant. And became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. It's a small thing. Bethlehem was the smallest village in the region of Judah. See he, he's magnifying that which is despised by natural men. He takes uh, the wisdom of God and overthrows the wisdom of men. He brings something very small. And that's what the manna was. It was small. It was also circular. A small round thing. We know that the circle, the ring, uh, speaks of the eternality of Christ. It speaks of uh, a covenant. That's why we use a ring in marriage. Because it symbolizes that continuation of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. So it is with God. God sent His Son as His ring. Uh, that is placed upon the hand, as it were, of His bride. And 
in that saving work magnifies his grace toward them. John chapter 8 verses 53 through 59. Not only is it small and circular, but it's also sanctified. It's white. It's white. White is symbolic of purity and holiness. Now that speaks of Jesus, doesn't it? In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, the Apostle Paul said that we have an high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, for he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without what? Sin. He was without sin. Holy. Separate from sinners. See, this is the very Son of God that is pictured in that manna. Small, circular, sanctified, but it's also sweet. Brother Nathan mentioned that already to us in Psalm chapter 34 verse 8. David says, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. We taste and see that He is sweet to our taste. We sing a song, I love the song, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in a believer's ear. You see, it's sweet to us. That's why we love the gospel, isn't it, Brother Paul? Because it's sweet to our soul. It, it, it instructs us. It strengthens us. It encourages us. That's what the manna did in the wilderness. Not only is it sweet, it's also sufficient. I think about this miracle lasting 40 years. Think about it. You sisters go to the grocery store every week and you buy food for your family. And you can understand, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a pretty great quantity. But think about uh, food for millions of people. Millions of people at one time and not just for one week, not just for one year, but for 40 years. God provided that manna that came down from heaven. It was sufficient for their need it was sufficient it gave uh, strength to the children of israel i think about this in context of philippians chapter 4 verse 13 don't you uh, i can do all things through christ who strengthens me where are you getting your strength today when you're in your wilderness now i, I recognize that some of you may not be right now but let me hasten to say if you're not in the wilderness today, you better get ready because one's a coming. We're either in a wilderness or we're fixing to go into one or we're coming out of one. But that's the way it is in this world, friend. There are wildernesses of all kinds and shapes that are in conflict and, 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 and bring struggle to the lives of God's people. How are you going to survive? How are you going to get through it? Listen to the word of God today. Lean upon Jesus Christ. He is our sufficient strength. I think about this in the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Remember when the Apostle Paul asked the Lord to remove that thorn from his flesh three times, huh? And what did the Lord say to him? The Lord said to him, My strength, my, my, my grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want you to see that in the manna. I want you to see that in Christ today. This is who Christ is in His incarnation. But it not only teaches us 
who Christ is in the incarnation. It teaches us how Christ came. Jesus didn't come as, or, uh, or the manna in the wilderness didn't come as an import from Egypt. They didn't bring manna with them from Egypt. There was nothing from Egypt connected to the deliverance of Israel. It's not something that is manifested or manufactured by the flesh. This is something that only God Himself can do. It's something that is not purchased. It's something that is not manufactured by the hands of mortal men. This manna came from heaven. It came down from heaven. Uh, as Jesus said in John chapter 6, we're going to go to John chapter 6 in a little bit. But in John chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said it that way. I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of my Father which has sent me. And this is the will of my Father which has sent me, that all that my Father hath given me, I shall lose nothing. This is a picture, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came from heaven just like the manna came from heaven. Notice the manna also came at night. It came in the darkness, just like Jesus. When He was born of the Virgin Mary, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we read that it was at night that He was born. Remember, the shepherds were keeping their, their, their flocks in, in the fields by night. It was nighttime when Jesus came as well. I think about this too, Brother Nathan, uh, in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. See, the light came into the darkness. If you'll allow me to use this word, invaded. Christ invaded the darkness of the world to bring the light of truth and the light of redemption and the light of the gospel. He brought that at night. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you thankful for that? The manna was given in the wilderness. Why? Why didn't Jesus, or why didn't the Lord load down the wagons of Israel when they came out of Egypt and says, Okay, I've got your provision uh, for the next uh, several years. I've got it, and it's already in your wagon. What was He teaching? He was teaching a daily dependence upon God for our daily sustenance. Amen. He was teaching us to depend upon Him every day. Depending upon, and sometimes that's hard for us to do, isn't it? If we're honest, uh, we we think we trust him, but then we worry about the stock market. We think we trust him, but we worry about our employment. We think we trust him, but then we get sick. We think we trust him, and then we have a knee replacement. We think we trust him, but then we face a real conflict, something that we cannot explain, a loss in our hearts, in our families, that j just tears us to pieces. Ah, oh, it's in those wildernesses, isn't it, that we truly learn to trust God for each moment, moment by moment, day by day. That's what I believe is going on here. I believe that God, when He sent His Son, we're going to see this in just a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I can't help it. But in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, what happened? He went into the wilderness. 
Do you think that's an accident? Do, do you think that that was just kind of happenstance? No. Brothers and sisters, he went into the wilderness to identify with his people. Because his people will be in the wilderness as long as we're in this world. But ah, there's a land that uh, is promised. There's a time coming when the wilderness will be in the past. And all will be glory. Brothers and sisters, the wilderness is temporary. It's a temporary thing. Jesus went into the wilderness. And, and I believe what God is doing here. When In Exodus chapter 3, we learn this in our study of Exodus chapter 3. When, Jesus, uh, when the Lord appeared unto Moses and gave him his name. Do you remember his name? I am that I am. I am the uh, all-sufficient one. I am that I am. I'm the eternal one. Same in the past, same in the present, same in the future. That's why we don't need to worry about tomorrow. Because our God is already in tomorrow. His grace is already there. It's prevenient and it's sufficient. But we don't know that sometimes when we're in the wilderness. In the wilderness we can't see God's plan. We don't know what God is up to. But there's something that God the Holy Spirit has placed deep within our soul that says, I don't understand this. I can't explain this. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe that you will never leave me and never forsake me. How did Israel learn that in the wilderness? <laughs> in the wilderness, they, they, they experienced it. And brothers and sisters, that's where you will experience it as well. I think about this in the context of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, when he reveals to us that the love of God was focused upon his people, not when they became godly, not when they became goodly, not when they became obedient, but even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, that's a wilderness. And God is going to send His manna to that place of our deepest need this morning. I think it's interesting, and this is just a point in passing, but I, I think it's interesting that the manna was not placed in trees. The manna was not placed on the mountaintop. The manna was placed on the ground. I want you to think about that a minute. Why? See, in order for the children of Israel to gather the manna, they had to bow. They had to bend. They had to go down. They had to humble themselves. And did you know it's the same with Christ? Brothers and sisters, you and I cannot follow Christ without first humbling ourselves. Without denying ourselves and taking up our cross, we'll never follow Christ. And it came, and, and this is interesting to me, Brother Don. If you study it, you see that the dew of heaven fell first. And then the manna was upon the dew. You see, that protected the manna from being defiled from the dirt. It protected the manna from being defiled from from mud or, 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 or from the earth. 
That's exactly the way Jesus came. Jesus came, brothers and sisters, in a miraculous way. You see the Holy, in Luke chapter 2 again, we read, uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, we read where the Holy Ghost is the one that covered the womb of Mary. And, 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 and the Father is the one that planted the seed in the womb of, of the Virgin Mary. And uh, this is important because I believe that the Father is the one that determines the blood of the child. Did you know that? The father is the one that determines the blood type of the child. And in that context, the heavenly father determined the birth of his son. Jesus did not have the nature of Mary. It was like the manna that fell on the frost. It was separated from the uh, fallen nature of Mary. You see, that's why he's the sinless son of God. He's perfect and holy in all his ways, even in his conception. I believe in the immaculate conception. I believe that this is a, 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 tr a tremendous point that we, we should uh, rejoice in today. Because uh, the manna was what sustained the children of Israel for 40 long years in the wilderness. And it is Christ that sustains us throughout all eternity. Yes. Now, if you don't mind, let's go to a beautiful passage. Uh, well, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to hit these uh, very quickly, brothers and sisters. But I, I want you to see what God is teaching us about the manna in the wilderness. We see the mystery, we see the meaning, but we're going to also find the message here. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, listen to what God said through Moses to the children of Israel. He said in verse 2, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee. This is, the, this is what God was doing to this nation and doing to his people to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live." Jesus actually quoted that, didn't he? Jesus quoted that when he was tempted in the, in the wilderness. Remember this? Um, I, I want us to think about it. I want us to think about this uh, covenant promise, a promise that was fulfilled. Go with me now to Isaiah chapter 35. You're going you're gonna to love this, brothers and sisters. You're, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. There's no charge for it. Isaiah chapter uh, 35, verse 6. Listen to what Isaiah said. Look at this promise. Look at this promise that uh, is fulfilled in Christ for us. Listen to what God said. Um, let's back up. Uh, if you don't mind, let's back up to verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 35. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even 
uh, God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness, in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Hallelujah. This is a great promise. He made that promise not only to ancient Israel, but He made it to spiritual Israel as well. He made it to you and I. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise that you can claim. This is a promise you can lay hold of. When you and I cannot trace the hand of a covenant-keeping God, we can trust His heart. We know, brothers and sisters, that He's good. He's good. I was thinking about that just yesterday. I was thinking about Narnia. We, we tried to find that, to watch it yesterday, yesterday and uh, couldn't find it. But uh, remember, uh, uh, remember when the, the children were asking Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, uh, they, were t- they were telling them about Aslan. And uh, <clears throat> they said that Aslan is a lion. And one, I think it was Peter, says, is, is, it, is he safe? And Mrs. Uh, Beaver says, oh, lambs, no, he's not safe, child. He's a lion. But he's good. You see, that's the difference. His nature is saving. His nature is helping. His nature is comforting, encouraging. He always takes the hottest place in the battle. He always takes the heaviest part of our load. He always secures us and makes us secure and exposes himself to the danger. That's why he went to the cross that you and I deserve this morning. That's why he went through the torture and the pain and the suffering that you and I were entitled to. But he says, no, I'll take it. I'll take it on their behalf. And by his stripes, you're healed. Oh, that's the manna in the wilderness according to the promise of God that was fulfilled perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus, this is after His baptism, then was Jesus uh, led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Oh, I want you to see something here. I want you to see this. I wish Brother Matthew was here uh, to hear what I'm about to say because it's after baptism that the devil really gets after us. It's after we make commitment, a commitment to Christ. That's when he's ready to trip you up. That's when he's ready to destroy. You've got a mark on you after you make that commitment to Christ. Here Jesus, after his baptism, is called of God to go to the wilderness. He's going to... He's He's going to uh, identify with you and I. Listen to this carefully. And when he had fasted, that means to go without food, 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards a hungry. You see, he was a man. He, he was hungry. And in the depth of his hunger, here comes the tempter. Here comes the enemy of God and your enemy and mine this morning. Here's the enemy. Here's the tempter. He's called in Matthew chapter 13, verse 25, the sower of tares. He's called in John chapter 10, verse 12, a wolf. 
He's called in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, a roaring lion. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he's called a serpent. In John chapter 12, verse 31, he's called the ruler of this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he's the God of this world. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, he's Apollyon, the destroyer. He's real. This isn't a myth. Uh, the devil is not a mythological figure to scare people. The devil is real. The devil is as real as Jesus Christ. And the real devil came against Jesus, the perfect Son of God. Let me ask you something. If the devil would come to tempt Jesus, how far do you think he is away from you? Some people say, well, I don't worry about the devil. I don't worry about his tactics. I, I, I'm oblivious to his uh, temptings. But friends, if the devil is brazen enough to tempt the very Son of God, ah, how alert and vigilant ought you and I to be. He comes against the very Son of God. And listen how he tempts him. Listen. He tempts him in the same way he tempts us. He says in verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. See, with that you have an acknowledgement by the devil himself that Jesus had such power. That Jesus actually had the power to make a, a rock turn into a loaf of bread. He's acknowledging that. He's acknowledging who Christ is. And he's saying, hey, why don't you, since you're hungry... Why don't you change these rocks into bread? And Jesus, what did he do? He quotes, he goes right back to the scripture. And he says, man shall not eat by bread alone, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He used the word of God to fight the devil. Brothers and sisters, can I hasten to say this morning that when you're in the wilderness, hang on to the word of God. Hang on to the word of His promise. Because His promise will always be fulfilled. So He's going to tempt him. He's going to tempt him sensually. Uh, a, a, a fleshly or a carnal appetite. He's, uh, he, he's going to appeal to Him the same way He does to us. This is tempting His sensuality. But He did not fail. Listen to verse 5. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. And by the way, we've, we, we've actually seen the top uh, stone of the, what was called the pinnacle uh, of the ancient wall of Jerusalem. It's, it's there. And uh, it has a trumpet on that stone. And that's where, uh, at the time of the feast, uh, the Levite uh, would go up to the pinnacle... He would stand on that stone and blow the trumpet, the shofar. He would blow to announce the beginning of the feast day. That's where the devil took Jesus. That's where he took him. He took him up to that pinnacle of the temple and said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Now you, you have to realize that was over 80 feet 
uh, what we would call eight stories, eight stories high, he would surely die. That's what the devil was wanting to do to Jesus. Why do you think he was after that? Why, why, why do you think that would be uh, a part of his motive if he could do something to keep Jesus away from the cross? To keep him away from the redeeming work that he came to do. Do, do you see that? Oh, uh, go ahead and cast yourself down because he shall give his angels a charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest thou at any time dash thy foot against a stone. You see, he was tempting him intellectually just like he does us. Um, A strategic avenue to incite wrong desires um, in fallen man. You know, this is something I'm, I'm going to do uh, if you'll just do this, uh, God will demonstrate His love for you by keeping you from dashing your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him with the word of God. He says, as it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You know, I believe the Lord will deliver us. I believe in the delivering power of God, but I'm not going to walk out in the middle of this road and wait for the next semi to run over me and say, well, Lord, if you love me, this truck won't run over me. You know, that's the kind of faith that goes flat. It'll fail because what you're doing is tempting God. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't fall for it. Not sensually, not even intellectually at all but then satan didn't give up did he watch this and we're talking about something that happens in our wilderness this temptation this tribulation this sorrow this struggle that each and every one of us deal with every day of our life as brother nathan warned us a moment ago listen listen verse 8 again the devil take us him up into an exceeding high mountain listen to this And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt just do one thing. Surrender to me. Worship me. Bow down and worship me. You see, this is a personal. uh, This is a personal temptation. It's driven uh, by desire for gain or dominance. This, I believe, uh, you have so many pictures of this. Pharaoh was one such individual. Remember what Pharaoh said? Pharaoh said, uh, Who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? Isn't that what Sennacherib said? Same thing. Who is he? Who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? And of course, Nebuchadnezzar and Herod were of the same stripe. It's a a personal, a selfish, egocentric, uh, ego-driven desire for gain or dominance. But Jesus answered him with the word of God and said, get thee hence. Listen to, the, listen to the battle plan. Listen to the battle plan. In verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That's our reply, brothers and sisters, to the temptation of Satan in our wilderness. Because trust me, he will tempt us when we're the most vulnerable. He will tempt us when we're the weakest. He will tempt us when we're beat down. 
um, and discouraged. He will tempt us. But what we have to do is by faith say to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. Go away. And I love this, Brother Nathan. Verse 11, Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Can I say something as a side note here? And I know uh, there might be some disagreement with this. But I believe in guardian angels. I don't know if you do, and that's okay. I'm not trying to make this a, a big issue. But brothers and sisters... I believe in guardian angels. And if those angels weren't with us, oh, what danger we would be in. Jesus was ministered to by angels. I even know, I, I kind of feel like, Brother Kendall, I even feel like I know what my angel looks like. His name's Clarence. You, you remember old Clarence? Yeah, I, I just, you know, I think about him in that way. That's the kind of angel God would send me. But I believe that he comes in your wilderness when you don't even know he's there. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I have on several occasions. Now, quickly and in closing, let's go to John 6. That's where I wanted to end up with you today. I want us to think about the message of this manna in our wilderness journey. We know that the promise is going to be fulfilled. We know that provisions of God are going to be manifested. In Isaiah 43, verse 19, he said, I'll make a way for you in your wilderness. I'll make a way. Jesus, after the uh, miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, remember there were a lot of folks that wanted to follow him because of this great miracle. But Jesus told them the reason they were following him was not because he was the Son of God, but because he had uh, filled their belly. In other words, their affection for Christ was purely natural. They looked upon Him as the promised Messiah that was going to deliver them from Roman bondage, that, that was going to fulfill all of their needs instead of taking away their sin. And Jesus says something here that just blows my mind. In verse 31, are you with me in John chapter 6? Our fathers did eat manna. Here it is in the desert or wilderness. Here it is, the same story, Exodus chapter 16. Um, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's, by the way, out of Psalm chapter 78. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Now, why did he say that? Why did he say Moses isn't the one that gave you that bread? Because Israel was convinced that it was Moses that had the connection with God. It was Moses' relationship that caused them to have the bread. But Jesus says it wasn't Moses. It wasn't because of Moses. But my Father, Jehovah, gave you that bread from heaven. The Father gave it to you. But my Father giveth you, listen, the true bread, the real bread, 
See, the man in the wilderness in Exodus 16 is a shadow, is a type of the true bread, the reality, the thing that casts the shadow. Jesus is the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Hallelujah. Do you see? Do you see the message here? The promise fulfilled? Do you see the provision manifested? Do you see the preservation experienced? I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. How about you this morning? Listen to me carefully. Are you hungry for the real thing? I'm going to tell you Jesus Christ is the real thing long before Coca-Cola was invented. Jesus is the real truth. Jesus is the real victory. Jesus is the real manna in all of our wildernesses. That's what Jesus came to teach. And that's what we by faith believe and trust in. Oh, my friends, I don't know where you are spiritually this morning. But I hope that this message will encourage you to look upon Him as your sufficiency. To look upon Him as your Savior. To look upon Him as your salvation. And your bread, your manna in the wilderness. Let's pray together.